0: and welcome to another episode of consumer the european podcast of the consumer choice center my name is bill words as always i'm your host with billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background this is the episode of may 5th 2022 may the 5th be with you and yeah know i'm a i'm a day late i'm flying solo this week no guests uh, this week um, turns out organizing guests can sometimes be a bit more difficult and unfortunately we were not able to secure any guests for this episode but that means that doesn't mean that you won't get an episode i'm still have a lot of a lot of interesting things to talk about um also by the way for the people who listen to episode one and know why billy joel's pressure is actually the intro music to this uh podcast uh, this is based on the amazon prime show boys which is I, I believe one of the greatest tv shows of recent history um and it's actually uh, interesting news uh, season three coming out on june 3rd so for all of those watching it um i think we're all very excited for the next season to drop Obviously, we're still going to talk about the French presidential election in this episode, uh, already promised in last week's co-hosting episode with Elizabeth Hicks. Emmanuel Macron secured a second term first president in 20 years to do that. Uh, so that will be uh, one of the points that we're talking about. Then also, EU Vice Commissioner Franz Timmermans says that opponents of the farm-to-fork strategy used the war in Ukraine as an excuse. And then also, uh, Russia cuts off Bulgaria and Poland from natural gas supplies. So let's get started. So I wanted to start with the story. EU Vice Commissioner Franz Timmermans says that uh, opponents of the farm-to-fork strategy used the war in Ukraine as an excuse. Uh, Here's what he said in Parliament.
1: And so those who did not like farm-to-fork to to start with used uh, the war as a pretext to come back to their old positions and try and stop farm-to-fork from happening. And I'm being very blunt now, but I have to say it at least to this committee because I count on this committee to be my ally to try and keep farm to fork on the tracks because um, it is quite something that some people pretend that we have the risk of food shortages in Europe, which is not the case. There is a problem, of course, uh, because of Ukraine and Russia, with the international wheat and maize markets, etc. Yes, a serious problem. But to scare people into believing that we might not have food on our table in Europe is irresponsible, and frankly, so incredibly... Um, um, how should I say this? Dishonest, that we should not go down that road. And if we don't understand that farm-to-fork is an attempt to save agriculture, not to punish agriculture, in light of the devastating effect of biodiversity loss and and, and climate change effects on food production globally, then we are really, really um, uh, uh, in a wrong wrong attitude. So, So, of course, there will be the need to look at how we make sure that there's no... Famine in Africa because of what's happening in the UK, but that's an issue of the functioning of the global wheat and and maize market. That's not an issue of not being enough, having enough wheat uh, uh, in the world, because I think we had a very good crop in the winter. The summer crop looks to be very good again. So there is it's a, uh, it's a logistics and a financial problem. It's not a problem of not availability of food. And, and let's let's keep this clear so that people don't create. Uh, uh, Our citizens are already so terribly worried about so many things, and they are right to be worried about many things. But let's not add to their anxieties with false problems just to try and safeguard your economic uh, position in certain sectors. I can't plead enough for this, and please let's work together on this um, uh, so that we, we, we do something for our farming sector that is sustainable over the long run, and we put better products on the table for our citizens, and we... Uh, uh, restore our uh, biodiversity. And yes, we will come with our proposal for a nature restoration law uh, um, in June. Um, so that is, that is, uh, 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 that I can tell you uh, now.
0: So this, of course, sparked quite some reactions. Franz Timmermans here says that the people who were against the farm to fork strategy in the first place now use the war in Ukraine as an excuse. And that has sparked reactions from uh, the European Union's biggest farm lobby, Copper Kojeka actually a very good organization, Christian Lambert, according to Politico, the president of the EU's farmers' umbrella lobby, Coppa, reacted at the press conference today telling him, quote, stop spreading fake news about the position of Coppa Um Because Franz Timmermans said that supply chain issues uh, do not, I mean, there's supply chain issues, but there's no real supply issues. And here the farmers uh, say that uh, Timmermans is wrong. She says, quote, I do not accept these accusations of intellectual dishonesty, and I accuse him of being inhumane by being selfish, by only looking out for Europeans and not citizens of the world. And then Politico writes, she added that there are in fact already shortages of sunflower oil in supermarket shelves in Europe and warned that the poorest EU citizens may struggle to eat due to rising food prices. I can confirm being in the Netherlands quite regularly, um, sunflower oil was already sold out in in, in many of the supermarkets here. So that is a real effect. And we talked in one of the past episodes about how Spain is looking for alternatives from Brazil to import sunflower oil. So this is a real issue and, of course, an issue that low-income countries, especially in Africa, do not necessarily have the means to pay the premium prices for alternative imports. But of course, it also drives up food inflation all over Europe. And I find it quite interesting that Franz Timmerman says that people are using um, the, the war in Ukraine as an excuse to underline their points because, because this sounds like something he was doing during the COVID-19 crisis.
1: Fast growing understanding that this has implications for everyone, that there's no future in coal and that we need to help countries transit out of coal into, into sustainable energy. And wh- why is this speeding up? I think because they understand there's a direct link between this transition and uh, um, uh, Next Generation EU and the uh, multi-annual budget uh, that will help us come out of the crisis, hopefully, uh, in the next couple of years. So if they delay and don't link it with the financial possibilities offered uh, by next generation EU, they might lose out in terms of the support they can get from Europe. So I think that is also speeding up their own thinking, Uh, apart from the fact that economic realities are also sinking in, there's simply no economic future in coal.
0: Franz Timmermans for such a long time has been on our case about how COVID-19 proves that we need the Green Deal. So how exactly is this different? Because with COVID-19, we face unprecedented supply chain issues. We face unprecedented, uh, apparently, need for recovery funds. And uh, and Franz Timmerman's first response was that food is too cheap. Uh, so, so that's a very interesting uh, perspective here that he says, oh, the people who were already against it are now using it as an excuse. Well, the people who were already in favor of the Green Deal uh, use COVID-19 as an excuse to underline their point. Just that their arguments just didn't stick. We cannot afford many of these farming reforms. And it's interesting... And he says the people who are already against it, because there are people who were very much in favor of it, who now change their mind, the European People's Party, Emmanuel Macron, uh, farmers' unions, they uh, initially said that we need a farm-to-fork strategy, and I disagreed with them. And now we see that there's a turn of events, uh, because Kopa also said in their statements um, that uh, the EU's farm-to-fork strategy is now outdated, having been designed for a, quote, perfect world before the war um you know just reductions of 10% for farmland is just nothing that europe can afford right now and i think it's just a very clear-cut way of saying hey this is not what we're able to do i mean the same applies to nuclear energy i mean france building 14 nuclear energy uh, plants uh, that's not just useful uh, to reduce CO2 emissions, it's also part of what we need to do in order to become more energy independent. But of course, I'm boring you with this. I've, we talked about this many times before. I think that's just so interesting to see Franz timmerman say this, um, uh, having done very similar things, and actually his arguments not sticking up, as farmer uh, representatives have now confirmed. Next up, Poland and Bulgaria cut off from Russian gas.
1: Russia's state-controlled energy company Gazprom has announced it is cutting gas deliveries to both Poland and Bulgaria. Neither of the EU nations have complied with a demand from Russia's President Vladimir Putin to start paying for deliveries in rubles. Several other EU nations, including Germany, are also yet to comply and are heavily reliant on Russian gas. Here's what uh, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki had to say about the cut-off.
2: As I have emphasized many times, Poland has prepared to diversify its gas supplies and to obtain gas from various sources. And even before the Baltic gas pipeline enters service, we will be able to protect our economy, protect our households and Poles against such a dramatic step by Russia. I'm now joined by
1: Jan Palokat. He's a journalist and correspondent for German state broadcaster ARD in Warsaw. Jan, we heard the Polish Prime Minister there saying that Poland will cope without Russian gas, will it?
2: Well, officially they can and they have good reasons to say so. Um, Given the fact that the deposits here in Poland are, according to official data, pretty much filled as to two-thirds of its capacity. Uh, Given the fact that the heating season is almost over and given the fact that Poland indeed built alternative routes, they built a a terminal for liquid natural gas uh, at the Baltic Sea. They are about to uh, finalize the already mentioned here in the statement um, Baltic pipeline towards the Baltic Sea, um, which could deliver Norwegian gas uh, to Poland as for starting for October. So putting all these things together, Poland can cope. But of course, LNG gas from overseas and Norwegian gas is much more expensive than, um, is much more expensive, excuse me, is much more expensive than Siberian gas. So the real challenge may be even higher inflation numbers and Poland Mm. is already uh, suffering high inflation numbers here.
0: So there's some interesting dynamics uh, playing out here, because it turns out that Poland and Germany have already been working together on exchanging uh, energy resources. So Germany was just recently telling Poland that they can supply them with natural gas. But turns out that Poland actually has much bigger natural gas stocks uh, being filled up. It's about two thirds of capacity that the natural gas stocks are now filled up. Also, we're getting out of the, the individual household heating season, at least slowly we're getting out of it. And, uh, and that means that it might be vice versa, it might be that very soon Polish people will have to make the decision, do we want to reduce our temperature in our place in order to give uh, natural gas reserves to our German counterpart, which is a very interesting dynamic. We also talked about LNG and LNG delivery from the Baltics to, um, uh, to, to Poland. And then also it turns out that Germany is using uh, is now suggesting to use oil reserves, German oil reserves to power the natural gas power stations uh, that are shared between Poland and Germany. Uh, so, so very interesting how that will develop because EU member states already have an integrated grid. I mean there is exchanges between countries. Uh, and it turns out that we might very much need a mechanism in order for EU member states to share resources as they come in and we'll see Uh, because I mean COVID-19 has shown that borders were very quickly closed when countries saw an emergency in this situation where the decisions were made together uh, and and are possibly going to be made together in in, in the near future about Russian oil embargoes at least that is expected um, even though some parliaments are voting it down in Luxembourg the Government recently struck down a, a motion to to embargo, uh, to boycott um, um, Russian oil imports, uh, but eventually we'll get there. And then the question is going to be how exactly are EU member states going to organize this redistribution? Because I mean, you can do a redistribution, and you say, okay, well, this poorer country will give resources to a richer country, but then can't the poorer country sort of evaluate what the richer country is spending their money on? Like, is it necessary to spend money on this right now? If you well, would need the resources to buy gas for your people, and why should we share it with you? Because this is very similar to what we had during the financial crisis, um, notably because um, um, well, countries such as Germany were saying, well, Greece should not spend money here and there as long as there is a sovereign debt crisis, and so it will be interesting to see that coin reversed on them and, uh, and 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 see you know how the the fiscal responsibility debate will play out on an EU stage. And then last but not least, uh, result of the French presidential election, Emmanuel Macron won against Marine Le Pen, uh, 58% versus about 42%. Uh, of course, uh, winner even over Marine Le Pen was the abstention rate at about 26% highest since 1969. And it was also interesting to see how the voting pattern uh, was laid out as many people are uh, breathing a sigh of relief, it turns out that the National Front, or now the National Rally, has the highest score in its history with Marine Le Pen's uh, run in this presidential election. And also very interesting to see the age group division. So in the 18 to 24 um, uh, age department, and also uh, those 70 plus, Macron is the clear winner. But Le Pen carried the 25 to 34 age bracket. Interesting, because That is in my age bracket, and interesting to see that they majoritively voted for Le Pen. Uh, In the 50 to 59-year-old bracket, they were head to head. Uh, So uh, interesting there also to, if we narrow it down by profession, employees in the private sector voted for Le Pen um, and also uh, workers, while Macron carried uh, his support from government employees and retired citizens. But of course, the next step for France will be the parliamentary elections. Uh, That is in a few weeks. I think that's in June. I think June 12th is the parliamentary election. And Macron knows that those will be crucial for the way forward. Without a majority in the National Assembly, he is unable to make any significant changes. In those elections, Macron's En Marche party faces challenges from all directions. So you've got left-wing voters begrudgingly supported... Uh, um, supporting Macron against Le Pen but they largely supported third place Jean-Luc Mélenchon in the first round and they will seek to translate that into significant representation in parliament. The far-left contender Mélenchon has already laid out the terms for other left-wing parties in a bid to oust Macron's centrist majority. Uh, le pen on the other hand she does not seem to uh, make any uh, significant uh, alliances uh, for those parliamentary elections and then of course there's the there's the significance of this election so macron macron's re-election serves as a stabilizing factor for the eu that is clear um brussels had looked upon this vote with quite some unease as the war in ukraine requires unequivocal leadership in the european union um but even in losing, Le Pen secured the highest number of votes for a party that she's ever gotten. Each time Le Pen and her party challenged the moderate establishment in France, they get closer to securing regional and national offices. In 2017, Macron's lead over Le Pen had been 32 points. now it's only 17. Whether or not Le Pen, who by the way has not ruled out a fourth uh, attempt, whether she runs again is not a logistical problem for her movement because actually her niece, Marion Maréchal Le Pen, is a popular alternative among their nationalist supporters. Uh, but I also found interesting that Mac- after Macron's re-election, there had already been hints at policy changes, because of course it is his second and last term, the term is being limited to only two in France, um, and there was a macron Online member of the European Parliament who already indicated that the French will push for increased robotization in agriculture as well as an overturn on the consensus on the ban on genetic engineering. So, whoa, that's good news. Before the election, Emmanuel Macron had recognized that the war in Ukraine meant that Europe cannot afford to pursue an agricultural policy that reduces farmland and cuts down on crop protection. So very interesting there, gene editing might be on the table while Emmanuel Charpentier is uh, originally French and one of the discoverers of this uh, technology. And so um, the European Commission had already worked on a revamp of that. And with French support, it might actually soon be the case that we'll finally get some uh, technological advances, despite of what many of the um, opposing NGOs uh, might say on this issue. So I think we'll have quite a legislative battle had on this issue in the next, uh, in the next five years. Um, I think for more analysis on, on what's going on uh, in, in, in the French uh, elections, I think we'll probably have to wait for June, the parliamentary elections. Will Emmanuel Macron actually secure a, um, a majority in parliament? But then still, uh, even as president, he is co-legislator in the European Council, so that is not insignificant either. And depending on the type of uh, coalition that, he's, uh, that he, he, he might see in parliament, he would still be able to, um, to co- co- cooperate because there have been so this is what the french call the cohabitation so this is when the parliament is different to the uh, political priorities of the president there is still collaboration but legislative reform moves a lot slower which might not necessarily be bad for the french so uh, we'll see we'll see how that goes uh in any way that is all we have time for today uh it was interesting to go solo and without a guest this time i really hope that next time around we'll be able to have some new guests um, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, even though it's just me talking this time. Um, in any way, uh, make sure to rate us on all of your podcast hosts and uh, recommend it to a friend if you can. If you want to support this podcast, you can make a donation on consumerchoicecenter.org. donate Also, you can do that in cryptocurrencies. And uh, support us on Podcasting 2.0. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words. See you Thursday.
1: You have to learn.